The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit? Join artist Susie K. Edwards for Path of the Butterfly, a weekend workshop at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking, and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. From Spirituality and Health Magazine, I'm Rabbi Rami, and this is the Spirituality and Health Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our guest today, Reverend Laurie Sue Brockway, is an interfaith minister, journalist, author of, what, 25 books, Laurie? Have I got it right? Because the number keeps going up. She's written extensively on goddess history and spirituality, as well as on interfaith and multicultural traditions. Her books include The Goddess Pages, Lakshmi Magic, and Your Interfaith Wedding. Her essay, Put Your Wisdom to Work, appears in the March-April 2023 issue of Spirituality and Health magazine. Laurie Sue Brockway, welcome to the Spirituality and Health podcast. Thank you, Rami. I'm so, so happy to be here with you. Well, I'm very happy to talk with you. Our article was fascinating and... Let's jump into it. I want to start with an overview of your spiritual journey. You don't talk at all about it in the magazine, but I looked some stuff up and I know that you know you are an interfaith minister. So tell us a little about a little bit about your spiritual journey, how you became an interfaith minister, and the seminary you went to. Well, I went to the new seminary, and the reason I got there is that I actually was a relationship and sexuality reporter, and my father died. My father was ill, and I was trying to figure out how to bury him because my mother was Jewish, my father was Christian, he had no religion, I didn't know what to do. And I ended up doing the ceremony myself with a friend doing, two friends doing blessings. And I really thought that I had done something (laughs) sacrilegious because I had never done a funeral before. I had done one for my grandmother, but I wasn't a formal minister. And my uncle had brought a minister with him to the funeral, family minister. And he came up to me afterwards. He said, can I talk to you? And I really thought he was going to tell me the things that I did wrong. But he said, have you ever thought of becoming a minister? And you know when you hear a thing that you never thought you'd hear at the right time, and suddenly it resonated with me, and honestly, I had literally left my position as editor-at-large for Playgirl magazine (laughs) two weeks before, so I really had, you know, it was just unbelievable for me to think about doing something so different, but I had a six-year-old child. I wanted to do something that gave me a more spiritual purpose in life. And I was ready to really transform. And somehow I ended up at the New Age Health Spa and everybody was talking about Rabbi Joseph Gelberman and the new seminary. And it seemed like everybody there was an ordained interfaith minister. And I just um, decided to sign up for seminary My mother had gotten like a $1,000 insurance on my dad when he passed away. 
And she gave it to me as a down payment for school. And just as I went to the rabbi's office, and of course it was run by a rabbi and priests and people from all faiths, the magazine I was working at at the time called Single Living fell apart. So I lost my job and the path to ministry opened before me. And I literally just took a year (laughs) to sort of just be a nun to to cleanse myself of anything that did not fit with my new spiritual life. I had to give up all the jobs that were offered to me, all the articles that people wanted me to write because I wanted to be on a spiritual path. So that's how I got there. And I spent two years in seminary and I was really grateful not only for that experience, but I met my husband there. Well, I want to talk to you a little bit about him in in just a minute. So Rabbi Gellerman, co-founded this with Swami Satchidananda, right? Yes, he did. And of course, our teachers were Native American shamans, goddess experts, imams, ministers from all faiths. And that was my training in all the world's traditions and religions. And for me, the thing that really resonated was to take everything I was learning about religion and spirituality and to blend it into wedding ceremonies, because I really got very strongly called to wedding ministry. And that's what I've been doing for 25 years, along with everything else you do. So so one more more question just about about your your life journey. So at that point, because your essay, Put Your Wisdom to Work, talks about, you know, how how age is a positive or or can have a positive impact on spiritual wisdom. Mm -hmm. And and you're dealing with with that positive sense of aging. Mm How old were you when you got this call? I was 40, and I thought it was like miraculous that I was going back to school at 40. But I got a call again at 54 to get a BA in psychology, and I got a call to go to (laughs) graduate school for marriage and family therapy. And then when I was in my 60s, I got a call to do more spiritual work at the seminary and get a doctor of ministry and I followed in the path of my husband who had gotten his first. So I believe that for people on a spiritual path, we continue to get these spiritual calls that lift us up into the next part, the next level of the adventure. But then there are also people who go through their lives not really doing spiritual work and come into that time in their life, the 60s, 70s, late 50s, where they wonder what they are supposed to do next. And they're finding that by taking, you know, by embracing a spiritual path and taking the things that matter to them by calling upon their own wisdom, they can find ways to create jobs that have meaning. Yeah, that's what was so interesting about your article, because I was thinking, you know, in, in our culture, the U.S. primarily is what mm-hmm. I had in mind. Aging is, seems to me, is by and large negative. Mm-hmm. I mean, in a culture like ours that sort of fetishizes youth and beauty and, and has this deep fear of, of old age. I mean, we're constantly, I don't know how many billions of dollars we spend on products to pretend we're not getting old. It, 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 we have like Ernest Becker wrote, you know, this denial of death culture. Uh, and 
And we tend to spit out newly minted spiritual teachers whose only training is like a weekend seminar in something esoteric that in the past maybe people spent 30 years studying before they uttered a word if they ever do. And, you know, we take a, a weekend or a week retreat and suddenly we come out and we're, we're teaching Kabbalah or, or some esoteric Tibetan Buddhist thing. You know, we're, it's always new and it's always young and hip and fresh. And you're, you're taking a very different approach. You're talking about, you know, people who are, I, I'm not going to say aged because you are talking like in your 50s and whatever, but that's not that. I mean, I'm in my 70s. So I look at people in their 50s and go, come on, you're just getting started. But why do you think we can still hold out spirituality as a safe place for people who are not afraid of aging? Well, really, when you think about it, it's kind of the only place because. Without a spiritual foundation, without, you know, this desire to connect to the divine or the universe, to be connected to all that is, it's very hard to have hope or feel that there are possibilities in life. And I'm not even talking about God because not everybody will respond or think about being connected to a greater purpose as a divinity. But there is this form of spiritual experience and awakening that keeps people in the game. And it's one of the ways that we find purpose. And I think we've all seen all the studies about people who live more positive and hopeful lives and who maybe even live a a little longer. It's because they have purpose. And so you combine purpose with spirituality and it takes you into the realm of the ancient masters and into the realm of, you know, we know there's so many traditions that do honor people who are aging. And Donna Hennis, who is so wonderful, Mama Donna, calls it saging, (laughs) which I love. But, you know, I remember when I was in seminary, we had a Native American elder who spoke to us and talked about how important it was to pass along, to share wisdom. She said that we fill up and fill up and fill up and we have to then share it. If we don't, we are unhappy. We we are unfulfilled. We have no purpose. And people sometimes think that giving and honoring other people and sharing wisdom might take away from our energy or our own paths, but it's really something that enhances the journey yeah, I absolutely agree. And and you I'm gonna go bring your husband, Reverend Dr. Victor Furman, back into the conversation a little bit. You write that he's 70 now. Mm-hmm. And you say that he's entering a new stage of what you call spiritual purpose, drive, and energy. And you say that that he was called to sort of carry the legacy of the new seminary. What I don't I'd like to know what you mean by that. And and I'd like people to hear a little bit about the legacy. I, I heard of the rabbi, but I, I, my connection or, or my what, what I know about the seminary really comes through the Sat Chit Ananda side mm, okay. and not, not through, which is people who know me probably wouldn't be surprised that I, <laughs> I got it through the Hindu side rather than the rabbinic side. But it was my time at Yogaville and, and studying there and the people I knew there who taught me about Rabbi Gelberman. So, well, my sister just moved there, by the way. Really, to Yogaville. Yeah, she they bought a house 
that Swamiji had lived in at some point. That's why they moved from California. So she's been a devotee for many years. And I myself am a Hindu and, you know, I understand it. But that's why I loved Rabbi Gilberman because he didn't care about religion. He just wanted you to have purpose. And what he taught us was that the most important thing we could do is have purpose and to serve others. And it didn't matter what faith that you serve through. You could serve through no faith, all faiths, one, two, you could mix and match. He just felt that it was our opportunity to be the, he used to say, with the arms and the legs and the mouth of God here on earth. And I used to say to him, Rabbi, you know, but there's a goddess too. <laughs> you have to remember the di divine feminine. And he would say, Shekinah. You know, and, you know, he got it. He got that everything was involved. And my beloved husband, who was, I met because he was graduating, because Rabbi took me out to lunch before I started school. And he said, you have to come to our graduation. And I go to the graduation, and there's the man who would become my husband as the president of the class giving the speech. And I hear his booming voice across St. John's the Divine Cathedral. And I just, I was like mesmerized. And, you know, he and I ended up meeting through Rabbi. Rabbi did, we got married in a few different ceremonies, but Rabbi did our formal ceremony. But, you know, my husband was so close to Rabbi Gelberman. And so many things have changed at, at the new seminary over the years. So my husband, Victor Furman, is really one of the originals because a lot of the original group of people that had trained with Rabbi personally when he was still running the new seminary went on and created their own seminaries and their own spiritual institutions. There were at least three or four different seminaries that came out of the one original interfaith seminary. So Victor really became, you know, the wisdom keeper and the flame holder and the you know, the living connection to Rabbi's legacy. And that was one of the things that asked our, you know, wonderful Dr. Jay Spates, who runs the seminary now, he came to Victor and, and he said, you know, he had come into the seminary at a different time. The people who were running things um, did not all, you know, a lot of people hadn't had an experience with Rabbi. And he said, you really are the representation of the founding and the founder of the temple. And so it's called the Interfaith Temple and uh, the seminary. So he he asked Vic to, to come into their program for minister, you know, doctors of ministry. My husband got a spiritual direction doctorate. And you know, it's not in in our tradition and in many religious traditions, a seminary is empowered to bestow a higher degree. And to, you know, ordain ministers and clergy at a higher level. And so my husband stepped into that. And then he was asked to just be part of the original temple that was the ordaining body that we were both ordained in. So it was just fabulous. And he, you know, it was just luckily he, you know, things changed after during the pandemic where both of us had did not have the same jobs that we had. And so we had the freedom to just go on a spiritual journey. And my husband 
you know, really was such a fabulous example of somebody just, he was 67 at the time. We just celebrated 70. And so I included him in the story. So, you know, I'm wondering, you mentioned, you know, COVID, the pandemic. I'm, I'm meeting a lot of people. I mean, I'm, I mean, it's been a year, I guess, since the lockdowns and things like that. But I'm meeting a lot of people who are, in a sense, just coming out of it. Yeah. And there's been, this is anecdotal, and I think it's true of me, and, but I don't think it's a projection that I'm you know, projecting onto other people. I think it's true of them, of many people I'm meeting as well, that the, the COVID period, for some, it was just horrible. There, it, was, it was not just a lockdown, it was a locking away. It was, it was just this horrible isolationist thing. And I don't mean to downplay that or to make mm-hmm. light of that anyway. But for a lot of people that I know in, in the more spiritual circles that I move in, it was a time of, oh, I don't know, enforced hermitage or something, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. a, a enforced retreat. And, and they're coming out with a new sense of spiritual awareness that is less tied to any name brand religion. Mm-hmm. Are, are you seeing that in, in mm-hmm. your work? Want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit? Join artist Susie K. Edwards for Path of the Butterfly, a weekend workshop at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26. Experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking, and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. I, yes, I agree. I think people, you know, I know a lot of people who've been at spiritual publications, and I'm sure we all do, and who've done spiritual work who are really not that spiritual, you know, <laughs> who, who kind of, uh, you know, are in it in a more businessy way. But I found that over the pandemic, people just, I don't know, people's hearts got cracked open. And with that, their souls just, hungered. And I really, you know, on one level, I feel like the pandemic is like a death. It was a, you know, we have a grief and a trauma from that, that like, you know, losing a loved one, you never quite recover from because so much was lost. So there's that. But then coming up alongside that, you know, is the new possibility of, you know, just being present in life with a new spiritual focus. And you can see it in people's um, Facebook posts and, you know, the stories that people share. I just see a lot of people who, prior to the pandemic, were not giving as much thought to life or how they were living life and having a little space out of the craziness of the world allowed them to get a new perspective. But but the new perspective isn't causing them to run back to church or temple or synagogue or mosque it's or or is it i mean what i'm seeing is people aren't going to organized religion they're they don't they just don't see the organization as speaking to their newfound either you call it newfound openness or their newfound awareness that some and i don't know if anything speaks to it at this point 
but but they're looking for something that maybe doesn't yet exist or maybe does exist. And I'm going to ask you about Annabelle du Boulay and, and the Avalon Rose Chapel. Maybe that kind of thing mm-hmm. is, is speaking to what people are seeking. So you, you'll have to tell us who she is and what she's doing. But but first talk about the large, I sort of stepped on my own question here, but but first talk about the larger issue that, that people are, are looking for something bigger than religion, if that's a if I can put it that way. I think that a lot of what happened in the past few years with this world being so incredibly insane and, you know, upside down and unlike anything we've ever seen before, that, you know, we've just all been shook up and, we, we're, and we've had a lot of losses and grief. And, you know, we're, we are just opening our spiritual eyes. Like Rabbi Gelberman used to say, you have to see life through your spiritual eyes. Um, put on your spiritual glasses. So what's this life look like? If you have on your spiritual glasses, does it look like, you know, going to a priestess training in Glastonbury, England, or a, you know, some sort of sake pilgrimage to a sacred site that may be attached to ancient religion? Or is it going back and you know, going into a formal kind of religion? I mean, honestly, I don't have the studies. I haven't done research on this, but just anecdotally, I just see people really, you know, stretching themselves into different places. And I think the other thing that happened is a lot of this had to be done online. And a lot of houses of worship had to go online, but then a lot of alternative kind of ways to connect went online. And that's how I discovered Annabelle, because she was teaching her priestess training online, which was so amazing, from Glastonbury, England. And there were all these teachers who were doing all this work that was so soulful and so connected to the earth. And you didn't have to identify as a particular religion. You didn't have to identify as pagan, or you could just be part of an experience that was connecting to a higher purpose and energy. Which brings me to something you have, and I don't know if you did this, but I'm assuming you did. In the in the essay that appears in the, I guess it's the next issue, the March-April issue of Spirituality mm-hmm. and Health magazine, there's going to be a sidebar. I don't know if you put that together or not. I did, of the seven jobs. And the only reason there's not a rabbi in there, because I just thought the training would take a little longer than some of those other things. Yeah, well, that's not what I was going to ask you about. <laughs> That, that 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 wasn't the issue. I mean, you didn't, you didn't put Protestant minister or or priest in there. But no, you you put in these these jobs, and I saw them more as just sort of invitations for people who want to explore. Well, what what might I be called to do as I as I move into the latter part of my life, and I have all this life. I guess the sort of lived wisdom and whatever, however you want to articulate it. And, and you mentioned priestess and, and in the Jewish world, there's this whole Kohenet Jewish mm-hmm. priestess movement. And I'm just curious, let me I just let the listener know. So, so you mentioned things like chaplains, celebrants, grief educators, interfaith ministers, priestesses, wedding officiants, spiritual directors. And my sense when I was reading the list is that these are, in a sense, clergy, I'm using the word loosely, I guess, clergy for a future spirituality in a post 
religious world, a post-organized religion world. You know, and, and I may be taking this too far, but like you said, you're in the wedding business, you know? Like people aren't, my, my experience is that people are getting married, but not necessarily within the confines of a brand-named religion. They don't want a Catholic wedding. I mean, some do, obviously, but they don't want a Catholic wedding or a Jewish wedding or a Muslim wedding. They, they want their wedding. Mm-hmm. And so they go to a wedding officiant to create a wedding that is uniquely theirs. And the officiant is trained not to, to replicate a traditional ceremony that's been, even if it has centuries of history behind it, but to draw from a, a I don't know, a, a menu of traditions, both secular and religious, to help the couple create a ceremony that is, I would think, deeply spiritual, power moving, powerfully moving, and yet reflects their own values, their own their own uniqueness as a as a couple. Mm-hmm. And that's not what rabbis are trained to do. That's not what priests are trained to do. Mm-hmm. They're they're trained to give you oh, you want to get married, here's the Jewish way to do it. And I can tweak around the edges, but really, if you're going to do it, you got to do it this way. But if you look at the list that you gave us, chaplain celebrants, whether we're talking about weddings, whether we're talking about funerals, whether we're talking about visiting people in in the hospital, all of these things are done in a more fluid environment, in in a less structured way, and I'm not, there's a question here, it's coming, I promise, <laughs> where the, these people are trained to, to operate without the comfort of a fixed tradition. They're operating without a net mm-hmm. in a very spiritually fluid environment. Mm-hmm. And that's the future. I, I wonder two things. So here's two questions. One, if you think I'm I'm right about this. And two, if, and you don't know necessarily all the ways these people are trained, but if you think the training that you've had experience with is up to the task. Well, I, what you explained about weddings, that is exactly my wedding ministry. I mean, right now I'm doing a wedding for a Hindu Christian couple where the groom is not religious. Over the summer, a lot of Hindu Jewish, Hindu Catholic. um, It is, I'm going to say, instead of without a net, the way, I mean, that's true. That's 100% true. And it's also without dogma. That's what my couples tell me all the time. They want a Hindu, you know, tradition, they want the traditions from the Hindu wedding. They want to do the saptapati. They want to walk the steps. They want to do the vows, the Mangal Sutra necklace. But, you know, they may not want like a huge prayer to Ganesha. They they may not want even sometimes to use the word God too much. And, you know, a lot of the couples who come to me are really in that place of, you know, either they can't get married in a traditional house of worship. One of them is a different religion. And the world is set up for them now because there are actually a lot of chaplains and celebrants. There's a whole industry of celebrants who don't have to be ordained. Interfaith ministers have to be ordained. But yeah, I think that a lot of clergy today are not operating with the same kind of 
requirements that are part of traditional religious training. And to be very honest, when I first trained in a two-year interfaith ministry program, coming to it from as a journalist, I had I wondered if, if anybody would think I was official enough. And I had a friend who worked at St. Patrick's Cathedral in the Archdiocese, Father Paul Keenan. And, you know, he, he really was one of the people who inspired and supported me in the beginning to say, you know, I mean, I'm a Catholic priest for 30 years, but you do what you do. And everybody should be able to do what they do. But, you know, he used to tell me what I couldn't do from Catholicism and weddings. And also, you know, he'd help me understand a little more about what I needed to share with my couples. I don't know yeah, if that makes no. any sense, but... No, no, I, that, that makes sense. I and mean, if you're going to borrow from a tradition and you can have someone help you deepen your understanding of what you're borrowing, <clears throat> that, that makes total sense. But you're not providing a Catholic wedding and you don't pretend to. It's not, it's, it's certainly not official in the eyes of the Catholic Church. And of course... You know, if a couple wants to have their baby baptized, then they're going to have to have a Catholic wedding and a Catholic baptism. They're going to have to catch up on all the seven sacraments. You know, sometimes they only have two or three and they just haven't followed it. And I explained to them that, you know, any baptized Christian can baptize a baby, but for it to really be, you know, solid in the eyes of the Catholic Church, you have to follow those rules. So sometimes my couples will get married in a, a nikah, which is the official Muslim ceremony, or they will have an official Hindu ceremony and then have a more Western ceremony. Sometimes they include the official stuff and because a parent, real, it's really important to them. Yeah, it's a very mixed bag for, for lots and lots of people. Yeah, and, and the traditions are not yet prepared, I think, to, to handle what's, what's happening and, and what's coming. But you know, what you're describing is, is, is much better prepared for that. The, the last thing that, that I'm just curious what you have to say about it is, and maybe I, I did say this, I'm just going to make sure I get a response that I understand from you, is the future of spirituality in the United States, I think, is going to be for many, many people, if not the majority, but for many, many people, a large minority, is going to be spiritual without the, the baggage, and obviously that's my bias, without the baggage and the dogma of organized religion. And who can speak to them but the kinds of people you're talking about? And none of the things as I understand it anyway, none of the things you listed, chaplains, celebrants, interfaith ministers, priestesses, et cetera, none of these people that I might go to for a ceremony or for advice or spiritual direction, none of them asks me to join something. Mm -hmm. So is the future in, in your, looking into your crystal ball, is the future... <laughs> one where community is less important or is community differently defined or is it more it's it's all about me as an individual or my family and we do it our way or I do it my way and I hire people I need for different things as opposed to any kind of communal belonging 
I think that's a really great question because I do think people want community. And I believe that spiritual, that community with other people is one of the things that does motivate a lot of people to get involved in different spiritual paths. You know, but a lot of people have had to, you know, reckon with their own experience and feelings about the tradition they were born into. You know, Rabbi Gelberman used to say, never instead of, always in addition to. So I think that people can keep their their religion of origin and keep their connection. They can go to temple on Diwali or church on Christmas Eve or go to a Hanukkah celebration. You know, you can still do everything that's part of your religion if you choose to. But I do think that people are walking this alternative path where they want something in addition to, they don't want to be limited. And, you know, it brings me back to the word purpose. What kind of a spiritual experience gives us a sense of purpose? You know, the article that we're talking about in the March-April issue and the other articles that I've been writing about, you know, just creative and spiritual ways for people to age and find a new meaningful purpose in life, it kind of really ties in with this whole idea that we are walking a spiritual path or looking for spiritual, you know, jobs or trying to to turn our spiritual interests and passions into things that we can share with other people. And ultimately that is going to involve community and interacting with other people. And I think it is important that people just find new kinds of spiritual communities without having to join anything or feeling pressured to be there. Perfect way to bring the conversation to a close, Laurie Sue. Our guest today, Reverend Laurie Sue Brockway, is an interfaith ministering journalist who's written extensively on goddess history and spirituality. Her latest essay, Put Your Wisdom to Work, appears in the March-April 2023 issue of Spirituality and Health magazine. Laurie Sue, thanks for joining us on Spirituality and Health podcast. Thank you so much. Blessings. To you too. It's really, really interesting. Spirituality and Health podcast is produced by Ezra Baker Truppiano, and our executive producer is Zach Avery. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star rating on your podcast app. And if you're not already a subscriber to Spirituality and Health magazine, please become one at spiritualityhealth.com. From everyone at Spirituality and Health magazine, we thank you for your support. I'm Michelle Phillips, a celebrity makeup artist, beauty expert, self-confidence coach, and Hay House author. My podcast, Beauty and Beyond, is the place for women navigating the challenges of the aging process. Listen in for my professional advice, as well as my expert guests, as we share valuable tips, practical tools, and empowering resources to help you not only look amazing, but also live an amazing life part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network and available wherever you get your podcasts.